Fact A. Today is day 235 of the year 2021. Fact B. This is the 236th edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Now, solve for fact C. What is the traditional description of today? Though some may have questions if these two numbers have anything to do with each other. In any case, it's not that questionable that I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this regular program on happenings and not happenings in and around the greater Charlottesville area. And now for the solution. Hold this up to a mirror. On today's show, Abamar supervisors agree to spend more on rural broadband initiatives. They also agree to further review of the homestay ordinance and an update from the University of Virginia Health System on the latest in the pandemic. In today's Patreon-fueled shout-out, what's your perfect holiday weekend in Charlottesville? Is it hanging with friends outside or great live music? How about breaking a Guinness World Record? If you've answered yes to all three of those, then mark your calendar for WTJU 91.1 FM's Freefall Music Festival on Saturday, September 4th, starting at 3 p.m. at Ix Art Park. Live performances will be made by Zuzu's Hot Five, Susie and the Pistols, and Good Dog Nigel. There will also be an attempt to form the world's largest human music note at 7.30 p.m., plus a hot dog and veggie dog cookout for our whole community. Find out more at WTJU.net. A database error has prevented a specific number of new COVID cases from being reported this morning by the Virginia Department of Health. We'll have that information in the next newsletter. But this morning, the Food and Drug Administration fully approved the use of the Pfizer vaccine, removing the emergency use tag that has been in place. Dr. Kosti Safri welcomed the move. He's the director of hospital epidemiology at the University of Virginia Health System. We've all been waiting for this day, and we're very excited to to see that um, the um, full approval has been granted. We know that there's some people in our community that um, were... um, waiting for that, that felt that full approval was needed before they felt entirely comfortable with the vaccine, despite the fact that I think it has been clear that the vaccine's um, really been safe and effective for for months and months now. Dr. Sifri said this may mean that more institutions will feel more comfortable requiring vaccinations. One such entity is the U.S. Department of Defense, which will now make the mandatory, making that announcement soon after the Pfizer announcement. There are still no approved vaccines for children under the age of 12, but work is underway toward that effort. Those clinical trials are you know, going on right now by Pfizer and Moderna. Um, and we've heard that um, we may start to hear some results of those studies in perhaps as soon as September. Another new vaccine development that Dr. Sifri said might come in September is guidance on whether those who took the Johnson & Johnson shot would benefit from a second dose. In the meantime, the UVA health system is also placing more restrictions on visitors to its medical facilities beginning on Thursday. Bush Bell is the administrator of hospitality and support services at the University of Virginia Health System. So for inpatients... um... Two designated visitors can be identified by the patient. Uh, They must remain the same 
for the length of the patient's stay. Only one visitor will be allowed for outpatient procedures as well as emergency room visits. And as always, patients who are being evaluated for COVID um, or are positive will not be permitted uh, visitors unless they are pediatric patients or um, adults with uh, special needs. More on the pandemic as it continues. The rest of our stories today come from the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors meeting from August 16, 2021. The United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit ruled earlier this month that the Federal Communications Commission must provide more information about why it has not updated its policies on the potential health effects of mobile phones and the towers that allow them to communicate. The court ruled on August 13th that the FCC must give further justification for a claim that its current regulations are sufficient to protect against harmful effects of exposure to radiofrequency radiation unrelated to cancer. The Environmental Health Trust and others had sued the FCC for failing to adequately explain why a process to update rules that were last adopted in 1996 was abandoned. The ruling directs the FCC to provide a reasoned explanation for why it continues to base testing procedures for cell phones on 25-year-old guidelines from 1996 to address the health effects of radiofrequency radiation on children in a world where cell phones are ubiquitous and to address the impacts of radiofrequency radiation on the environment. Supervisor Ann Malik raised this issue during consideration of a cell tower on county-owned land at Walnut Creek Park. Should we be stopping accepting more and more of these possibly non-compliant, you know, when the rules get straightened out, wouldn't it be sensible to have the rules straightened out first before we have more things to uh, that are put up in the county that then we have to deal with after the fact? County Attorney Greg Kampner explains that the FCC halted their review of those guidelines in 2019. And that process could have ultimately resulted in a uh, updated regulations pertaining to the radio frequency standards. Uh, the court also made it clear that it was not making any decision on the uh, on the uh, viability of the 1996 standard. As a result, Kampner said the ruling does not affect current applications. In this case, the matter before the board was whether County Executive Jeffrey Richardson should sign the application from Verizon. It also doesn't affect the federal law preemption of state and local governments from considering radio frequency emissions in their uh, wireless related decisions and their regulations. Supervisor Malik was the lone vote against the resolution to authorize Richardson to sign off on the application. More from the Board of Supervisors in just a moment. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Are you interested in the history of the public library system in this area? Well, in this subscriber-supported public service announcement, I urge you to consider tuning in on Wednesday to the next edition of the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society's next video presentation, which is the second part of a look at the local library centennial, 
When does public become public? Filmmaker Lorenzo Dickerson and Jefferson Madison Regional Library Director David Plunkett will return to talk about how many of the anniversary projects they talked about in January have now been realized. Exhibits created by the ACHS commemorating the 100th anniversary of the public library system have been installed on the third floor of JMRL's central branch. You can learn more by watching this live event by visiting albemarlehistory.org. There are links to the Zoom registration or Facebook Live in the newsletter. Now back to Albemarle County and the Board of Supervisors meeting from last week. Supervisors also got an update on how Albemarle staff proposes to use the remaining balance of the American Rescue Plan Act funding the county will get in the current and next fiscal years. In all, Albemarle will receive $21.2 million in ARPA funds from the federal government. In June, the Board of Supervisors approved a framework for how to spend it. That includes $4 million for support for human services and economic development, an initial $3 million for broadband initiatives, and the balance for capital budget and fiscal planning for upcoming budget years. Nelsie Birch is Albemarle's chief financial officer. We will be making a recommendation to increase uh, the funding from ARPA to support our broadband efforts. Specifically, staff recommended using an additional $1.5 million in the ARPA balance to cover the local match for potential projects funded through the Virginia Telecommunications Initiative, or VATI. Supervisors approved the idea, and awards from that state program will be made in January. Mike Culp is the head of the newly created Broadband Accessibility and Affordability Office. This body session, we're going to have, it seems like there's at least 60 and maybe up to 100 applications. So it just goes to show the, the Commonwealth is really taking a, a good look at this, and they're going to be funding a lot more programs this year. So let's be in that bucket. Last week, Albemarle released $800,000 from that human services funding for a second phase of the Emergency Financial Assistance Program. There have been many requests for Albemarle to follow Charlottesville in using local ARPA funding to hire attorneys to represent people who were going to be evicted. Albemarle has so far not committed that funding. Emily Kilroy, the county's director of communications and public engagement, said Albemarle is covered under the extension of the national moratorium on evictions. She also said the county's approach has been direct payments to those with demonstrated needs. In an email to me this morning, she said that the Emergency Financial Assistance Program was able to serve 2,653 residents of Albemarle. She said most of that funding went for rent or mortgage payments. And as mentioned, another $800,000 in funding is available now. Later that afternoon, Albemarle had a work session on the future of the Homestay Ordinance, which regulates transient lodging such as Airbnb in the county. The current rules were adopted in 2019 and were intended in part to make sure those who are renting out their homes are complying with regulations. Bart Zavoda is the zoning administrator in Albemarle County. The number of non-compliant new listings is declining. So our message is getting out. Svoboda said county staff wanted to know if certain changes should be made to the ordinance. One current regulation is that houses and structures being used for transient lodging must be set back at least 125 feet away from a property, unless the board grants a special exception. The 125-foot setback reduction is by far our 
most sought after, special exception. 42 have been submitted, 29 approved. We still have 10 pending. The board also agreed to allow staff to make changes to the ordinance to allow for administrative approval of those special exceptions. Svoboda said that would depend on whether sufficient screening was present, as well as other factors. Other changes might be to change the rules that require rural area property owners to live in the structure they rent out. Svoboda said he will return to the board with details about those possible changes after the beginning of calendar year 2022. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Thank you, as always, for listening. And this time around, I'm going to take this end of the program ad lib to give another shout out to the Rivanna Conservation Alliance and their and their program that they have that they advertise from time to time, uh, their cleanup uh, program. I don't have the copy in front of me, so but this is the thing where they go out and you can go and paddle with them um, and clean up the stream, uh, clean up the Rivanna River. Well, that program, they're having their last one tomorrow night, but the Rivanna Conservation Alliance is a $25 a month Patreon subscriber. Now, what that does is that allows them to direct and to have these shout-outs at the top of the um, at the top of the show. That amount might go up in the near future, but for right now, it's pretty affordable to be able to get to the 1,000 or so people who, who listen or read this every day. Uh, you know, it's a pretty cost-effective way to get to them, and it's a good way to show your investment in this community resource. So for $25 a month, uh, take a look at that. If you have any questions about it, I do have a rudimentary policy. You can't just tell me to uh, say anything I don't want to say. Uh, you know, I really don't want to do that. And you cannot make me sing karaoke. That's just not going to happen. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thank you to Ting for the Substack match, as always. I'll be back tomorrow with another installment of this program. In the meantime, you know what to do by now. Safe stay. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. See you next time.